All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's go there, and if you don't mind, stand it to your feet as we read God's Word. We're going to read verses 5 through 24. 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 24. Five through 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. These are God's words. Now concerning, I'm sorry, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. See, so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the, uh, were the, Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and, Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I did not mention this, but to those of you all who have children that would like to attend, uh, and, and they, um, when we have ages from three to eight, so if you got children three to eight and they would like to be a part of our children's church, just, uh, just raise your hand and I'm sure Corey can help them get there. Um, and, and, and I did want to mention that. And then also, one last thing that I failed to mention, there is a, um, a meeting right after service for those who plan on participating in that Father's Day brunch. And so if you have plans to serve on June the 18th, um, for and, and participate in serving the brothers and celebrating manhood. Um, we would love for you uh, to be a part of that meeting that's going to happen right after service on today. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So, today is our final day uh, in the first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And I pray that this series has been a blessing to you. And if you have not listened to it, you got plenty of time to go back and, and go through YouTube. We got all of these sermons archived. You can go back and listen to every single one of them. But as we've said before, the last chapters in a book usually have a laundry list of important lessons we can take away from them. 
And this letter really is no different. There's a laundry list of important things that, that Paul wants to address to his, uh, to his brothers and sisters before he closes the letter. It's more of like a shotgun-style format. There's shots that feel and seem random, but they are no less important than anything that he said before he's gotten to this point. So Paul begins by discussing his travel details and in those travel details, we learn a few things about the Christian life. And then Paul turns from those travel details to some general instructions and commands and encouragements. And we're going to learn some things about the Christian life in that. And then, of course, Paul's going to final, uh, finalize this letter with just a greeting. And we want to spend a little time looking at that greeting. So we're going to look at his travel details. We're going to look at the commandments that he gives. And then we're going to look at that final greeting, that final send-off, and see what the Lord will have us to pull from that as well. So let's start with the travel details. As Paul is laying out these travel details, we learn a lot about what we should expect from the Christian life. We learn that the Christian life is about having a responsibility towards hospitality. We learn that the Christian life is about um, the necessity of community. We learn that the Christian life is about uh, the submission to God's sovereignty. We learn that the Christian life is about gospel opportunities and how we take advantage of those, of those opportunities. We learn that the Christian life is about gospel opposition and how we can always expect that when we're trying to do the work of the Lord, there are going to be people and things to obstruct that work. And we learn all of that just by listening to Paul as he walks through his, his, his travel details. For example, you start at verse 6 and he says, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. And then in verse 10, we hear Paul making a statement about hospitality for someone else. We hear it in verse 10. It says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brother." So Paul carries an expectation that the Corinthians will not only welcome him with open arms and permit him to stay, even for an extended period of time, if necessary, while sending him along or sending him on his way with support, but they are committed to doing the same thing, or at least he expects them to be committed to doing the same thing for his understudy, Timothy. This kind of hospitality, by the way, is seen over and over and over again when we look at Scripture. In Titus chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. So this is Paul speaking about Zenos and Paul speaking about Apollos to Titus in, in chapter 3, verse 13. And he says, hey, when you make sure they get where they need to go, and make sure you give them whatever kind of help they need in order to get there. In the third letter of John, uh, chapter 5, verse, verse, or not chapter 5, but verse 5 and 6, it says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all of your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. And then it says this, John says this to the church, who testify to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Send them on their journey, support them in a manner worthy of God, in a manner that shows that you are in fact serving the Lord. In other words, our hospitality is making a demonstration that we serve the Lord and that we know the Lord. 
over and over again, we see Paul setting this expectation for hospitality. But also, we see over and over again, Paul flat out commanding hospitality. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, Paul says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Some people have entertained God's messengers without realizing it as they demonstrate hospitality, even to those that they don't know. You may look at someone and say, well, I don't know that person, and you might ascribe value to how they're dressed or, 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 or how they present themselves or how they speak. And while you're ascribing that kind of value, you may be, in fact, ministering to angels, the author of Hebrews says. And so show hospitality. First Peter chapter 4, verse 9, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. In other words, there is a manner in which you can show hospitality and it still not be good hospitality if you don't want to show it when you're showing it. And so, and so here Peter says, show it, but show it without the bellyache. Show it without the griping and the nagging. Show it with joy. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So again, we see it over and over again. We should care about hospitality because it shows that we believe what the Bible says about us being family. We say that we're family. If we're family, we call one another family. And if we are family, then we should be willing to treat one another like family. How committed are you? saints of God, to not just calling one another sister, brother, mother, family, but, but actually opening your life in a way that signifies that you truly believe what you profess. That's one reason we should care about hospitality. Here's another reason we should care about hospitality, because it shows that we are committed to obeying the Bible's call for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Hospitality is a tangible way to love your neighbor as you love yourself. By sharing in your own, by sharing rather not in your own, but by sharing your own personal goods, your own, own personal time, your own personal space. It's showing that you love a neighbor like yourself when you are willing to break away from your own convenience to put someone else front and center so this is what hospitality means. That's why it's significant. But I also said that in Paul's, de uh, Paul's travel details, we learn about the necessity of community. And I think that's another important lesson that's worth us looking at. Look at verse 7. It says, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Again, you hear it not just with Paul and talking about himself, but you hear it when he's talking about Timothy as well. Look at verse 11. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. For I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, as I mentioned before, these words are not just words that you find in Corinthians. But these are words that you find all throughout Scripture. Just like you hear the call to hospitality all throughout Scripture, you hear the call to community all throughout Scripture. We see it in Paul's words in Romans chapter 15. Verse 24, he says this, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company 
for a while. He wants to be with the church. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, he says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. In other words, Paul's joy is connected to community that he has with Timothy, to fellowship that he has with Timothy. And so he longs to see Timothy in order that his joy may be filled in seeing Timothy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. They aren't saying, I can't wait to get away from these people. They're saying, I can't wait to be with these people. Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Paul says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I yearn for you. Saints, there is a strength and a refreshing that comes from the saints coming together. Paul understood that, which is why he is constantly mentioning his desire to be with the saints for mutual edification and mutual encouragement. Not, not simply because he has something to give them and they have nothing to give him. No, he has something to give and he has something to receive from them. Basically, Paul is saying, yes, I have something to give you, to teach you, to encourage you, but make no mistake about it, I long to see you because you bring me joy when I'm with you. When I see you, I'm encouraged. How available are you making yourself for opportunities for community? Are you too busy to connect with the people of God in any meaningful way for any meaningful time? If that's the case, then brother or sister, you are too busy, period. Are there seasons where that may be the case? Yes, of course, there are seasons where that may be the case. But should that be the normal pattern and rhythm of your life? Absolutely not. Some of you may be in the room or maybe watching online and saying, yep, I'm good to go. I have great opportunities for connection and community. I have a couple of people that I, that I connect with. They connect with me. I'm great. And, and that's great. And really, and seriously, I'm, I'm glad to hear that is your testimony. So here's the next question I'll ask you. Do you have your eyes and ears open to pick up on anyone who may be left out? And how are you attempting to offer them a welcoming space of community? I'm not talking about programmed opportunities. I'm talking about organic opportunities. I'm talking about the ones that pop up when people say, hey, why don't you swing by my house for dinner? Or hey, why don't we go and grab a bite to eat? When, uh, when, when, here, here's the thing. When smart people do studies about the ability of a church to retain its visitors, some people expect the results to speak about great preaching and great children's services and great worship singing and great opportunities to serve and do outreach. But what is often not discussed enough, but is at the top of the list as, as to whether or not a church will retain people, is the ability to connect with at least two to three people within the early stages of visiting. If a person comes to a church and can, can, and can, can, and can connect with two to three people early on, that gives them more reason 
to stay. Above the preaching, above the singing, above the children's services, the ability to connect. Because people were created for connection. And the need for spiritual connection probably is at the top of the list in terms of connection needs. So how are you participating in facilitating that? How are you aiding in developing that? Notice that Paul even comes back to this in chapter 16 that we're reading from uh, 1 Corinthians. Verse 17 and 18, he says this, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. For they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. I rejoice at their coming. You sent them, and, when, and, 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 as, and as, the, as I heard about them coming to me, I rejoiced. And then what did Paul say? Verse 18, for they refreshed my spirit. You see what community does? Refreshing of the spirit. One theologian says about this refreshing of the spirit that it relates to the feelings and it relates to the emotions of the person. And so this refreshing refers to the resulting, at, resulting, effect, resulting, at, resulting effect of an action on one person's spirit by another person. The ability to literally transform the emotional state of a person is tied and wrapped in community. Some of us are, full, are, are, are fully experiencing the reality of that isolation and the COVID period and all that is doing to our hearts and all that is doing to our minds, all that is doing to our emotions. And yet we're telling ourselves that the answer to this is even more separation and even more isolation and even more time by myself. Saints, in many cases, the answer is not more time to yourself. The answer is community, connecting, finding meaningful relationships, and building an opportunity for your soul to be refreshed in that community. These folks being sent to Paul as representatives of the church made Paul feel like the whole church was gathered with him. He said, what did he say? Because they have made up for your absence. Them being present with him, those three men being present with him made him feel like that he was with the whole Corinthian church again. You see the power in that? And they served in refreshing his heart. And so what does Paul say? Paul says, give recognition to such people. Isn't that powerful? We talk about giving recognition to the talented, giving recognition to the preachers, giving recognition. see you now just in passing. 
I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. That's a very small phrase, if the Lord permits, that carries a lot of power because that ties into the submission to God's sovereignty. Paul desires to eventually meet with the Corinthians, but he houses his plans and his expectations to meet with them in the sovereignty of God, in the control of God. If the Lord permits, then we will meet again. Our gospel success is always in the hands of the Lord. Our gospel engagements are always in the hands of the Lord. We are subject to God's rule and God's sovereignty as to whether he will open a door or whether or not he will close it. In Colossians, Paul actually asked the brothers and sisters to pray that God will do what? Open doors. However, even though the decision to open a door is God and God's alone, know that he is more than willing to open some doors in order to advance his kingdom agenda. And oftentimes he will bust a door wide open to allow us to walk through for the sake of sharing his gospel and being light in dark spaces. And when he does that, we have to commit ourselves to taking advantage of that opportunity, which is another lesson that we hear in Paul's travel details. Look at verse 8. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So Paul says, God has opened the door in Ephesus. And so I'm going to hang around and walk and walk through this door and take advantage of this opportunity that God has given me. And this door that Paul is talking about is probably in Acts chapter 19. Because in Acts chapter 19, we see that Paul is in Ephesus. And when he's in Ephesus, he begins to share the gospel. And right out of the gate, 12 people get saved in the, ver in the very first verse or in the very beginning, the uh, very first couple of verses. And then by verse 8, we see Paul is given a window, or I guess we should say an open door, to go into the synagogue and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he does that for three months, just goes to the synagogue. And that's an unusual door that's open. But nevertheless, God has opened the door wide, like Paul says here, right? And from there, he, is, he, is, um, he then goes to the lecture halls, and he preaches and teaches, until, until the scripture says, all the residents of Asia, whether they were Jew or whether they were Greek, had heard the word of the Lord because of this successful work. Doors wide open. And not only that, in verse 11 of chapter 19 in Acts, God is performing crazy miracles with Paul. People are taking their face cloths and their aprons, and, 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 they, and if they had been touched by Paul, they were bringing those face cloths and those aprons back to those that were sick among them, and those people were getting healed. And they were casting out evil spirits using those uh, face cloths and aprons. They were doing crazy miracles, doors wide open. And Paul is more than happy to walk through those doors. In fact, they're, they're, they are in Acts chapter 19. It gets to the point where people are seeing this move of God, and they're saying that the gods that we were worshiping are no good. And so they're taking all their magic books, all their tools of idolatry, and they're dumping them in a fire and saying, let's get rid of this stuff because this stuff is no good. This guy knows the true God. Let's talk to this guy. Let's stick, stick with this guy. Does that make sense? 
And so there's powerful things that's happening in these wide open doors that Paul is talking to the Corinthians about. But don't miss what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8 and 9. He says this, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. And that's the final observation about Paul's travel details. The door is open, but not without obstacles. Part of the Christian experience is understanding that we will face opposition. We see the opposition in the same place we see the opportunities. All of the accounts we find in Scripture of Paul facing opposition shows us that the decision is not always a clear cut, do we go or do we stay. There are times, for example, in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 17, where the opposition is there and then Paul leaves the city. Even Jesus himself, there are times where we hear Jesus tell his disciples as they're going out to what? Do what? Wipe the dust from your feet. Shake the dust from your feet. Depart. And so it's not always clear when they stay and when they go. It appears, though, that in this situation the opposition was present, but the door that God had opened for the gospel was too great to pass up. Saints of God, there are rarely perfect conditions for you when you are living on mission for Christ. Sometimes the doors will be wide open to serve people, but many people will be present to oppose the work. Sometimes doors will be wide open for you to serve and share the gospel of Jesus Christ or to shine light in darkness, but the schedule for you may not be perfect. Sometimes doors will be wide open for you to shine light and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the budget won't be perfect. But we are far too quick to declare doors closed when opposition arises. But that is not Paul's criteria for doors being open and doors being closed. Paul says the door is wide open and the opposition's here. You see that? We have to be willing to engage with God or, when, or, or we have to be willing to engage rather when God opens doors, even if Satan and the forces of hell are circling around the doors. When the door is open, when God opens the door, God will give grace for us to walk through the door and seize the opportunities that are within. But we can't be saying, ah, oh, it looks a little difficult, so I'm going I'm to stay away from that door. Is the door open is the question. If God opens the door and the opportunities to make him known are there, then maybe it means he's going to give grace even as you walk through that door with opposition on your tail. Now, let's turn real quickly to some final, excer- oh, final commandments that Paul gives. Verse 13, he says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Paul begins his final or last words of this letter with some general encouragements that are very powerful encouragements that we, that we would call almost fighting words. In fact, these words appear to serve as a reminder that if the Christian life is anything, it is a spiritual fight that requires resilience, fortitude, 
courage. These are the kind of words that a commanding officer leaves with his troops as they're heading off to battle. Be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong. Be watchful. What does that mean? That simply means stay alert. Don't get caught sleeping in this world. In light of Paul's resurrection comments that we heard about just a few weeks ago, this be watchful could be a call to stay on the ready for the return of Christ. Jesus himself uses this kind of language on several occasions in, in, a, in a way to point to his return. He tells us in Matthew chapter 24 as he's describing his return, therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So we must live on this earth as if every day is the day that the Lord is calling us home. However, Jesus had another use for this kind of language when he says be watchful as well that I believe might be closer to what Paul has in mind here as he writes to the Corinthians. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says, verse 41, watch and pray, talking to his disciples, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is weak, is willing, but the flesh is weak. That you may not enter into temptation. Watch. Be watchful. Remember, we read a verse a couple of weeks ago, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It said, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so here, Peter was encouraging the saints to be sober-minded, clear-headed, as they were facing difficulty and facing hardship, recognizing that the devil is attempting to use that difficulty and use that hardship that you're experiencing as a means to sow doubt and tempt you to abandon your hope in the gospel and the God of the gospel. He uses your hardship to try to choke out your faith. And so Peter says, be watchful. And I think Paul has this in mind as well. Be watchful. Before we can adequately stand against the devil and the power of the spirit, we must be aware and we must be alert of how he is operating in our lives and in the life of the church. Be watchful because the devil is always looking for ways to redirect our attention from Christ and from his church and from his mission. Be watchful. Whether it's endless doses of mindless entertainment, countless debates on secondary issues or third-level issues, divisive attitudes in the house of God, or struggling with the fleshly desires in our own heart, be watchful because the devil's goal is to distract us from the mission of God. The devil's goal is to distract us from shining light in dark places. You know, in, 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 the, in World War II, in 1940, May 1940, the Nazis sent a unit, their Army Group B, to the Netherlands and to Belgium. And they sent them and they began to attack, you know, the, 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 the forces that were present in Netherlands and Belgium. But they didn't really care about Netherlands and Belgium, the Netherlands and Belgium, rather. And so as they were sending that force in that direction, they sent their army group A to France. 
because their intention was really to attack and seize France. You understand that? Sometimes the devil will send us distractions in one direction to get us off mission to where God has us. So be watchful. If you were to take a minute this morning and write down the things in your life that create distractions for you and leave you open to the enemy's attacks on your soul and God's church and God's mission, what would some of those things be? Be watchful. However, don't just be alert, but stand firm in the faith, meaning be steadfast. One of the worst lies that we've ever been given about the Christian life is that it's always easy. Christianity requires fortitude, spirit-empowered fortitude and resilience. Paul said, listen, in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, I worked harder than any of them. Nevertheless, it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. In other words, Paul said, God gives me grace, and with that grace, I work hard. We don't have to stand firm alone. You don't have to resist the, uh, the devil and the world and the flesh alone. You have the Spirit of God. He's given that to you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's your inheritance. God's grace by his spirit is given to you to enable you and support you as you stand. But make no mistake about it, when God gives grace, it is for more than just looking around. When he gives grace, it's for you to stand. It's for you to resist the devil. It's for you to wage war on your flesh. By the time we get to the end of chapter 15, Paul says what? Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why does he say that? Because you've been given grace, but not given grace not to be steadfast, given grace to stand. This walk is a walk of persistence and fortitude and resilience. Sometimes it will not be easy. And when it is not, you have grace. And then lastly, he says this, act like men. There's a sense in which this is probably a call to courage, but there's another sense in which this is probably a call to maturity. Because throughout our study in 1 Corinthians, we see that the Corinthians are demonstrating immaturity. They're clout chasers, treating preachers like celebrities. They're divided over minor issues. They're sleeping around with another's, uh, with another's spouse. They're petty. They're suing one another over frivolous matters. And so Paul gives them a final word on this behavior. Grow up. What do you think Paul would say to us as he jumped on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and watched us engage in endless secondary and tertiary debates and watched us take inordinate amounts of pictures of ourselves and watched us declare that we have zero time for Jesus while spending endless hours watching streaming movies and TV shows and reading books and listening to podcasts and watching sports? and observed us holding grudges and unforgiveness towards our brothers and sisters over what amounts to very small matters in the grand scheme of eternity. What do you think he would say to us? He would say, act like adults, act like men, act like women, grow up. Yes, there are 
and will be times where this life will be tension-filled and it will be stormy days and it will be difficult paths along the journey. Sin will prove on many days to be, to be a challenging adversary, but we are at war with a real spiritual enemy, but we have a real spirit who advocates on our behalf to fight the battle. Therefore, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Then Paul says this. There's some other things we could talk about, but I just want to close here. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. So we hear, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And these are all aggressive and assertive words. And like I said, they sound almost like fighting words because they are meant to kind of communicate a kind of resilience in the face of adversity and to kind of, and kind of um, 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 create this battle-like battle mindset in us, readying us for war with Satan in the kingdom of darkness. But yet I believe one of the most powerful observations from this passage is Paul's choice of words right after we hear these previous words. Paul says, let all you do be done in love. You see, in many ways, this is the counterweight that needs to be added to the scales of verse 13 to help us properly understand Paul's whole message. Yes, we wage war, but not in the manner that one would expect that war to be fought. In fact, Dr. John Perkins says that love is really and truly the final fight. Love is. And so as you are waging war, you are waging war with love. Be courageous with love. Be watchful with love. Be strong with love. Be mature with love. You know, time and time again, Christians in our country are losing the story and losing the plot when they take a wartime mentality into their engagement with the world, but they don't bring love with it. Love transforms how we battle. Love transforms how we fight. And so yes, be courageous. Yes, be strong. Yes, be mature. But be loving. Take love with you. Let all that you do, Paul says, everything that you do have love as the motivation has love as the fuel. Paul, in the very last verses of this text, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you. All in Christ Jesus. Amen. So what Paul does in this very end is he says, <laughs> he has a scribe with him. And he basically tells the scribe, hey, give me, give me the pen. And so I'm going to write this myself. These are, the, these are the most important things that I've said. These are, the th these are the things that I want them to hear my voice when they read. These final words with Paul's hand or from Paul's hand. First word, verse 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. What does that mean? 
that means that God requires love from his covenant community. In order to be a part of this community, in order to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, love for the Lord Jesus Christ must be flowing from you. You cannot be a part of his church and not love him. And so he says, if you don't have any love for him, then you are outside of his blessing of, of the covenant. That's the first thing he writes. The second thing he writes is, our Lord come. Saints, this world is crazy. It's desperately sick. People are getting shot every day. Just read, just read this morning in Philadelphia where there was another mass shooting. One was killed. Uh, seven, or eight, seven or eight were injured. Obviously, there was another shooting in Tulsa. Multiple people died um, in a Tulsa hospital. Man, walking into a hospital and shooting people. Buffalo, Uvalde, California. Man, walking into a church, shooting people. This world is desperately sick. And it's always been. Which is why you hear Paul saying in this verse, our Lord come. Come and make this right. Come and set order to what has been disordered. Come and heal what's been broken. Come. And that should be your prayer. That certainly should be my prayer for the Lord to come. And then lastly, he said, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Everything that we've, everything that we've read about, everything that Paul has commanded us, everything that he's had, he has instructed us through this whole walk through Corinthians is fueled by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only do we not have the power to do it, but we don't even have the motivation to do it. It was because Jesus Christ came and by grace laid his life down on your behalf, took your burden of sin, took the wrath of God that you was due or that was due to you. The hell, the eternal damnation that was due to all of us and took that upon himself when he went to the cross on behalf of our sin, rose from the grave with all power in his hands. That is what gives us the motivation to obey. That's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ being with us. And then as, we, as, as you are weak in your struggles, as you are weak in your fight, when you want to do right, but you just don't feel like doing right sometimes, when you want to do right and it feels like that you can't even do right sometimes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What does that mean? That means that the Spirit goes with you and that the Spirit empowers you and enables you to do righteous. The Spirit empowers you and enables you to do good. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ covers you when you fall. It's because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can read all that we've read and we can preach all that we've preached and we still can walk away with hope because grace covers us. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you so much. And we give you all the thanks and praise and the glory and honor. We ask that.